0: All right, hey, I'm glad you guys can be here. Uh, if it's your first time here, I want to personally welcome you. My name is R- R- <laughs> My name is Ricardo Store and I'm one of the pastors here. And I um, get an opportunity to preach with you guys this morning. Um, so uh, if you need a Bible, why don't you go ahead and raise your hand if you don't have one. If you have one, why don't you go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll be there briefly this morning. Um, Again, Ecclesiastes chapter three is where we'll be at this morning. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high, and one of our ushers will walk down the aisle and give you a copy of God's Word. Um, No announcements that I have for today um, yet, so let's hear from the Word of God. You guys, please stand. Please, Ecclesiastes chapter three. a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time of peace. So reading the Lord's words, Lord, the Lord's word, you may be seated. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for the reading and the hearing of your word. God, ask that you bless our time together, Jesus, that you would give me the words to say and to speak and communicate in Christ's name Amen uh, we're in a series in Exodus but we're not going to be talking about the book of Exodus this morning um, let me just share some things that that I, I, I need to share with you guys first is uh, I'm trying to figure out how to start this off well, let, me, let me just start first 20 years ago 20 years ago almost to the date I had an opportunity to make a decision to choose to leave Southern California to move to Arizona to come to ASU to play football I think it was about November 8th or November 9th is when I got a chance to make that decision. Three weeks after that, my high school football team won our championship. And I remember that excitement of that day and I also remember the sadness of that. The excitement because we finally had won a championship and just so you know, when you win a championship, that's pretty exciting. Uh, And then the sadness because I knew that these guys that I had grown up with my entire life, that I was moving along and many of them were gonna just remain in our hometown. Right, so there was an excitement for what was to come and a sadness for what was ending. The writer here in, in Ecclesiastes is talking about different seasons, and how there's a time for this, and there's a time for that. There's a time for this and a time for that. I share that story with you because uh, today, and especially in the last probably 10 days, that's the same feeling that I've had. That feeling of excitement for what is to come, and then also a sadness of what is uh, coming to an end. Um, so just a little bit of my story, most of you guys know. Uh, I came here to college back in 2000 and moved out of here in July of 2000, and the Lord just used my entire—like He used football as a gift for me my entire life. Um, when I was seven years old, my uh, late uncle put the football in my hand and introduced me to football via the Los Angeles Raiders. So clearly, he was Christian, and so. Uh, <laughs> And, and uh, football was, was just a gift to me. I remember being seven years old and coming home with the flyer to give my mom to sign me up for football. And, and back then, everybody played tackle football before we knew what it did to our brains. Uh, um, and um, carried me throughout high school, gave me a, a, incredible opportunities. One of the opportunities was to come to college and, and go to school and, and so forth. It was also uh, in college that the Lord began to really do some incredible things uh, in my life, what the writer of, of uh, Ecclesiastes here says next, in the next verse is, is that God has put eternity in the heart of men, in the heart of women, and that's true for every single person who's ever even believed or will never believe in God. Is that God puts that desire to know eternity, and yet it is the same sovereign God who brings us to the conclusion of knowing how we find our t- eternity primarily in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Um, Paul lets us know uh, in the letters to the to the Corinthians that one plants and one waters, but only God can get the growth. Um, my mother and my family, they planted a lot. Uh, and when I got to college, there was, there, was, there was a few people, particularly through the Ministry of uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, that watered a lot. When I was get, getting done with college, the Lord brought it to fruition for me to truly see and know and experience a saving grace in Jesus Christ. Um, after college, that next season for me was coaching and teaching. And uh, that season came to an end and got into ministry. And ministry for me, primarily in the local church, started first. um, We were doing an inner city ministry here in in, uh, central and downtown Phoenix. And then from there, I became uh, uh, an intern with the 710 20-somethings crowd, which is 710 as a ministry, uh, back uh, at Redemption Gilbert. Just so you know, during that time, it was 2006, every college ministry in the country had a number. There was like a 901, a 710, and so forth. So we were 710, and people would say, what time do you guys start? We started at 710. Most people thought it was a 737 ministry, because that's when they showed up. But um, <laughs> So I interned, did that in 2006, 2007. Uh, Holly and I got married. I worked at ASU as a missions counselor. And then from there shortly, uh, there briefly, and then went to youth, youth pastor. I became a youth pastor at Redemption Gilbert. Did that for several years. Um, and then um, we decided we were leaving Redemption Gilbert before we knew that this thing called redemption was gonna be. And so, th- so the, those of you guys who don't know, redemption became a church when two churches merged together to become redemption. And that's a longer story that I don't have time for. If you don't know that story, oh well. Um, and so, we decided to come to Tempe. We came to Tempe uh, for just a bunch of reasons. One, we are very familiar with Tempe. Both my wife and I both went to college here, both played sports here. Um, I came to know and and, and really follow Jesus here, and it was a great opportunity. Um, So six months into being what we called then the campus pastor here, which would have been like an associate pastor, um, our current, at the time, lead pastor left to go plant another church, and so I became the lead pastor. So that was in 2000. January 2011 is when I got here. And I can always judge the time that I've been here by looking at my youngest son because he was born uh, that April in 2011. In fact, a lot of kids were born that, that, that year and the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year until now. Um, so that, that, that has been the journey. And I've been the lead pastor here now uh, for eight years. Um, and it has been amazing and it's been a lot of fun. And the reason why I share the story of the joy and sadness that I felt when I was 16 years old is because that same joy and sadness is the same thing I feel now. Because my season of being the lead pastor here at Redemption Tempe is coming to an end. Um, many of you know that because you got letters and emails and so forth. Many of you know because people told you and some of you are going, how come I didn't get a letter email? Listen, this is not about you today. Uh, (laughs) uh, um, So, (sighs) two questions that come to mind, or that people ask is, one, how did I make this decision? And two, why so fast? Let me do the why so fast first, like why is it so fast? Just just so you know, our elders and staff, our elders that are here, they didn't find out until 10 days ago, uh, on Wednesday and Thursday of last week. Um, this is something that I've been wrestling with for a while and I'll explain this longer in a second um, and finally came to the conclusion that this is not I can't do this job if I'm not 100% passionate. that you can't do this just plowing through it um, and it was beginning to break my heart knowing that the thing that I love so much is not the thing that I that I feel like I'm supposed to be doing anymore um, and so with that um, There was twofold. One, we wanted to let you guys know as soon as possible. I was actually supposed to be in Italy right now, um, which I'm not. But this is a hologram, guys. This is (laughs) Um, I'm glad that I'm not so I can be with you guys. I want to tell you guys as fast as possible so you can begin the process along with your leaders. The other part of it is because I am going to go into, I desire to go into coaching. um, Actually, I didn't say that yet. Um, My desire is to transition. I'd have been a lead pastor to go back into coaching football. And I would love to coach at the collegiate level and then maybe even the high school level. And there are uh, maybe some opportunities that may have that if that were to go, I would be, I didn't want us to go, we're processing this internally, Then all of a sudden I got a job where I had to leave immediately. And then I never got a chance to say goodbye. So that's why it's so fast. Um, And it's fast for you guys. It's fast for the leaders here. Um, and, and uh, as well as, as my family. This is super awkward. Um, so the decision, okay? Why make the decision? So there's kind of three bigger buckets that I would want to walk us through. The first one's the longest. And the second one, you guys will probably understand, and the third is kind of just what I just talked about. So the first one is, I'd be remiss not to say this, okay? So um, this is my story, so take it as you would like, but this is me. 2016 was one of the hardest years in my life. Um, 2016 for me personally, it did something to me that that I don't think I can ever get back. As an African-American male, that was the beginning of watching, not the beginning of it happening, but being able to through social media, watching black bodies laying dead on the street black male bodies, um, and I remember watching that and watching things on social media. At the time, I had a Facebook and Instagram and all of that stuff, and I got off of it primarily because, because of the church, just watching people who I know, love, trust, believe in, interact in the most insensitive ways, uh, black, white, Latino, Asian, doesn't matter, and realizing I have to show up on a Sunday and try, try to pretend that I didn't see the things in which I saw. Um, and then from there, leading up to the presidential election that year, and here, I'm not a, this, is, this has nothing to do with who you voted for. Um, I'm just saying the experience of it there was something that happened with a lot of us as people of color that year, and especially within, the, within predominantly white culture, churches, that it just did something. Um, and uh, the way I can describe it, it's like an injury that you get, watching people really not get what it's even like, or un- a lot of ways not even try to understand or hear the way that it, it's like for people like us in spaces like this. And to hear a lot of the religious rhetoric to, a firm or back, I would say, very ignorant and ill-informed positions and stances on things, very difficult. And I shut my mouth. Um, it's like an injury that somebody has that you get healed from and you go back into it and you go running and you go jumping, but you don't run as fast and you don't jump as high. And that happened to me. Um, I The way it felt like for me, Personally, and this is one man's opinion. I do not represent all people of color in this statement Um, It was like Let me give you two stories on this. It was like I have been watching your kids for this whole time They come to my house. They eat the food we have I found out that they have particular allergies that uh, to particular foods that my kids don't have I, I find out that they're allergic to peanuts and peanut butter and gluten and all the other things that maybe your kids might be allergic to and I got those things out of my house and did those things, and it didn't matter to me because I loved having them at my house, it didn't really matter. And then, I wanted to go do something and have you watch my kids, and then you begin to ask all the questions of where you're going, when you're going to get back, and so forth, and it was like, wait, I'm asking you to actually lean into something that I'm with, and it seems like there's all these questions, what is this? Um, and I just felt so much anger. I was listening to one of my hipster podcasts, uh, <laughs> This American Life, and and there was this episode, and this resonated with, we were visiting a, a friend of my wife's in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was, I, was, I was going for a jog around this park, and I was listening to this episode. And the episode particularly was this guy who had fought in, in the war, I believe it was De- Desert Storm, and he was talking about how he would tell his friends about the reality of war, and the reality of the things in which he experienced and saw. And he would see their faces and how they reacted to it, and how they kinda couldn't stomach listening to it and seeing these things and hearing these things up front. And so he began to tell stories about war, but not the stories that he used to share. He began to tell stories about them fighting scorpions in the barracks and things like that. And it became really fun. And and he was kind of the life of the party. And the way this, this interview would go, like, his wife would get in. And it's like, yeah, he's always been the life of the party. That's what drove me to him. And, like, he would say some things. And then as the story progressed, there was one particular time that one of his friends said something about the war. Like, well, I guess in the grand scheme of things of war, not that many people really died. And he lost it. He lost, he starts swearing and cussing and so forth, all of these things. Swearing and cussing, I guess, are the same thing, but he did them both. (laughs) And and they begin, and he just said it was just crazy. His wife's like, I'd never seen the side of him, and it was just this crazy. And the interviewer, the lady, she asked him, like, what happened? And he said something. He goes, what I realized what happened was, when I would tell the stories of the war, my friends couldn't stomach it. And so I learned to tell stories that they could. And in doing so, over the period of time, and the laughter and so forth, I almost communicated that I didn't care about these things, because that's exactly what they received. And so they reacted to only the part that I was giving them, because they couldn't stomach the other part. And when these things happened, I exploded. And I stopped when I was listening to that and going, that's it, that's it. Um, And for whatever reason, not for whatever reason, for a lot of reasons, (laughs) that, that, that part was difficult, and especially for some of myself in a position who is in leadership, who has influence or power or whatever words you want to be able to use, and to go, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it's a very difficult time, and I think we're going to be coming into a, another difficult time this upcoming election, no matter what happens again, and, um, and so forth, and even within the church. Now, that's not the reason why I'm leaving, but I, I, I just talked to our elders and going, that's real for me, and that was really real for my family. My wife was a champ in that. Just so you know, my wife's not black, so. Yeah, I just thought I'd let you guys know that. Um, Yet, yet, she got it. I remember asking her the question one time, when you hear black lives matter, what do you hear? And she goes, I hear black lives matter. I said, when you hear all lives matter, what do you hear? She goes, duh. She goes, when I hear black lives matter, it's not that any of their lives don't matter. It's just seemingly that disproportionately these particular lives don't matter right now. And I thought, okay, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was one big bucket. And um, yeah, the next, one, the next one for me was blessing and burdens. The blessing of being the pastor here has been amazing, right? It's been amazing. I love preaching. I love being with you guys. I love your kids. I love. Just your stories and the opportunities for you guys to allow me to be in so many of your lives and to be a part of so much has just been, an, has been a blast. I mean, the reality of it is, I became the pastor here way too early. I was 28 years old. I was six months removed from being a youth pastor. I like to say, I was, I was stuffing marshmallows in young kids' mouths playing Chubby Bunny, and all of a sudden, we were in a capital campaign trying to raise money to be on this, on this campus, right? <laughs> uh, so, I, I, that's a joke. I've actually never played Chubby Bunny with kids before. So uh, so there, there was a way too fast, way too early. Um, you guys accepted me, those of you guys, how many of you guys were here when, we, when I, yeah. So you guys stuck around? Good, That's was good, way to, congratulations. Uh, and learning how to preach on a Sunday, I didn't preach every, I mean, every week and so forth, and just learning how to do all of that, you guys, you guys were with me. So many of the blessings, and then the burdens. I mean, the, the reality of it is the burdens, they do stack up on you. And so someone asked me the question, are you burnout? And I said, you know what? I I do believe that there's been seasons where I've I've been close to burnout or burnout and so forth. I think there's a difference here. There's burnout and there's worn out. And the way I explain that is burnout is give me a break, give me some rest, give me a sabbatical, do something, and then let me get back into the game. Worn out is, dude, these tires are not going back on that truck anymore. And that saddens me. So that was the second bucket. And the last bucket was while my desire to lead began to dwindle, particularly leading in this context, my desire to coach and lead and develop young men, primarily through the sport of football, began to increase. And the support and confidence that I need primarily from my wife, it just came out of nowhere where she just said, you know what? Um, I started coaching again this past spring. And outside of coaching my kids and, and, and so forth, which that was fun too. Uh, but I actually wanted to coach kids that would actually listen to me. So I, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I started coaching high school. Um, my wife said, there's something that's in you that was dormant that, is, that has come awake. And that's the way that I felt. Um, that's the way I've been feeling. Uh, and it's, it's, it's in me, um, and it's something I, I really, really want to do. And so I think simultaneously that desire to go in, I don't necessarily feel like I want to lead within the local church. And that has nothing to do with, let me just be clear, because everybody's going to go, what did we do in the race thing? Is there anything we could have done differently? Honestly, you should talk to the rest of the elders around here. Uh, and this, it wasn't you guys. This is probably the best experience that I could have been in um, this was just something, some desires in my heart that I've been wrestling with for a while. Um, and then the desire to coach. And that's basically it. Um, that's really it. Uh, which leads me to the last point is, it's a lot easier to make this, it's easy. It was a lot easier to make this decision because of the health of our church right now. Um, in terms of the way that we do team here, in terms of leadership here, the, the, the men and women that God has placed here have been absolutely amazing. Even when we think about, and I described the 2016, we have people, leaders on this staff that care about those things and care about the things of race and culture, justice, the gospel, mission, God's kingdom, so forth, all of the things that we've been about here that have been absolutely amazing. And so the leadership here has made it very easy for me to go, I think you guys can do this without me. Um, they, they, they probably would, um, would have said, can you give us a, a bigger notice next time? Uh, <laughs> But uh, I, I do, I fully, I fully feel confident in them, and, and that sense does not make me sad, it makes me excited. One, because I think the next, the next transition in terms of what's best for this church, and it's not my responsibility anymore, but they gave me a mic today, um, is less personality driven, and even more pressing into more discipleship and so forth. Um, which we've already been about and will always be about, but you guys actually loving on you guys and, and being able to collectively continue whatever it is that God's been doing faithfully here in this particular congregation. And so I, I thank you guys. Uh, I love you guys. Um, I'm going to invite Jim. Jim's supposed to be doing an all of life interview with me now, which is equally as awkward. Uh, so, we guys invite Jim Mullins to the stage as he comes in.
1: Simultaneously, the least favorite and favorite All of Life interview ever, right here. Um, Crowder <clears throat> doesn't know I'm going to do this, but uh, he thinks I'm just going to ask him some questions, which I am going to ask him some questions. But I've been asking people in our congregation questions about what they've appreciated about your leadership. And there are dozens of themes, but I just want to name some of them. Um, One of them is um, your courageous leadership. Uh, You have stepped into things and into places of pain and uh, whether it be topics or, you know, challenging situations like no one I've ever seen. There's only one time I've ever seen fear in your eyes.
0: Hmm. Do, you know, do you
1: know when that is?
0: When you woke me up in the middle of that hotel?
1: Yep. <laughs> I, I attempted to wake Ricardo up three times. We were supposed to be somewhere, and we were in New York. And then so I just started screaming at him in Turkish. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he had this look of like, did I forget how to speak English? What's, what's happening?
0: I <laughs> do you, remember that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> But you have led with incredible courage, and we appreciate you for that. The second thing is that you have been an incredible steward of God's Word. You have poured yourself into uh, understanding the Scripture and teaching the Scripture, and that all of us who have sat under your preaching have uh, not just understood Scripture, but seen the Christ who is the center of Scripture through your work. And you have exegeted the text well, you have exegeted 90s hip-hop lyrics well, and we appreciate you for it. And then the the third thing is that you have been present uh, in the places of pain with so many. And you you, you might not know how many nights Ricardo would go to the hospital and visit people who were sick or their children were sick or sit with people in the midst of incredible um, challenges within their marriage or their family. And um, it could be easy for you to sit at a safe distance, but you have moved towards people. Uh, You were one of the first people I told when my daughter was diagnosed with autism, and uh, we appreciate you for that. So I'm gonna ask him some questions. But let's, let's give Ricardo a hand, let's celebrate this. questions. Um, what, uh, what are the next couple of
0: weeks going to look like for you and your family? What are the next steps for you? Yeah, so some people who have known that I was transitioning out have said congratulations, and I said, are you congratulating me on unemployment? <laughs> uh, I don't have a job. <laughs> Uh, So, the next steps right now is pursuing what's best in terms for um, like us as a family and me trying to figure out what opportunities will be there and a lot of that is really out of my hands. You got to wait for certain things to end um, and seasons and so forth and so I I have conversations and I've had a few meetings and and I know that's super vague but it needs to be because it's I can't say where, it's not like I'm joining the FBI or anything, I just don't want to Mm -hmm. give too many things away so yeah you could that that that's the next step Um, my wife is still working which is amazing and needed Um, and so she's in in her job and the boys will continue to be in school and we're just gonna be doing what we're doing here and um, yeah and and try to pray like crazy that God would open up a door we're gonna be praying for you like crazy Uh,
1: and I want you to all join me actually in praying for Ricardo to get a job at U of A, because I think that would be hilarious. Like, Yes, yeah. I, I, I want that so bad for you and for us. Um, so,
0: so, <laughs> so uh, I wouldn't turn down anything but my collar.
1: That's okay.
0: No. Uh, so uh,
1: tell me a little bit about how this has been for your family as you've processed it.
0: Um, Holly and I have come to conclusions or decisions at the same time like three times in the 12 years we've been married. Aaron, I'm drinking your water by the way, so FYI, I saw it there. Um, <laughs> um, when we decided to um, have our second child, people say, what about the first child? God made that decision. Um, So we we decided to have a second child, when we knew that we were going to be leaving Redemption Gilbert somewhere, then God opened this up, and then the house that we live in now. We both wanted to live in that house. Um, And this one. And so um, that has been, I mean, here's my, here's here's me, right? Everybody can think differently. As a dude, when your wife has your back, you feel like Superman whether you're going to go do a job that you didn't think you wanted to do or a job that you wanted to do for your whole life, doesn't matter, um, it matters. And so, my, so that's been good. I, I, I did ask Holly to tell me what she was feeling, and so she texts me this. Excited, hopeful, anxious, and anxious regarding the level of uncertainty, so. And she asked me not to make any jokes about her not liking you guys and wanting to leave anyway. So I won't make any jokes about the fact that she doesn't really <laughs> like you anyway. So yeah. I told her I wouldn't do that, so I didn't. Uh, the boys, the boys, the boys are, the boys are really sad. Uh, because our oldest one is a, is a feeler, so he could connect some dots, and that is the potential of us not living in Arizona and what that would mean for him and all his friends and uh, our young, they, so they're both in tears. Our youngest one gets it and he's starting to get it more. I can tell that they got it at different levels because the next morning when we told them last week, Noah said, Dad, I'm praying for you to get a job uh, coaching college. I know it's going to be okay. And then coaching college football. And then Eli, our youngest, said, I'm also praying for you to get a coaching job coaching soccer. Mm-hmm. So. He believes the big things
1: of God. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I do, I do want to ask an all-of-life interview question. Yes. Because I think that this is one of the things, this is the ultimate test of do we really believe what we've been talking about, that all of life is all for Jesus? And that is the work of coaching football mm. just as sacred as pastoring a church. And a- absolutely it is. Mm-hmm. So the question is, if Jesus says that loving your neighbor as yourself uh, that this is the, the, uh, the ultimate of loving God and loving your neighbor, what, is it, what does it look like? How is coaching football an act of obeying Jesus and loving your neighbor as yourself?
0: I think one, at least in my experience, coaching in general, you have more time, especially in college, you have more time with these athletes, and some of you are college athletes right now, than in a four or five year span than most people in their entire life. Mm. And the ability, the ability to influence people that come from all different types of walks of life is incredible. So when it comes to like, loving and serving your neighbor, I think most of, many of coaching so much is a lot about, um, it's very shame-based, where I think the gospel brings about coaching that's left transactional, like what could, you can do for my team, and then so we'll give you this, as opposed to transformational, is what can I do to serve you um, that you may be able to go serve others. And I think there's a level in which you can do that in coaching. That Not that you can't do it anywhere else, but you, you, you can do it in ways that are, that are unique to sports, and particularly in football, than anything else. Football in itself gives me an opportunity to love neighbors of diverse backgrounds, which is the way that I learned it, and then it's the way that I feel like I want to I lead in it. And that means people who are rich, who are poor, who are black, white, and all um, other ethnicities, and to be able to share the love of gospel and word as well as in, in deed, um, and to be able to... To be able to come alongside people in, 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 in uh, pivotal, pivotal times in their lives, and that age range from a 14-year-old high school freshman to maybe a 23-year-old fifth-year senior, mm. that's my niche. Mm. <laughs> nice. Uh, and so uh, being able to display the characteristics of God, the patience of God, and being able to watch and serve people and being a model of what it looks like in the way that Christ has done it for, mm. for all of us. Yeah. What have
1: you seen God do over the last eight years? As you look back hmm. and you reflect, what are some of the things that,
0: that, that you really are grateful that God has done? Yeah. Um, I can't answer that question, and, and, and there's so much. There's so much I've been thinking about. Um, personally for me, I don't know if I would've learned leadership as much as I have been in this, in this, in this position. I don't think I would've been able to learn about people and just the fragility of people in their lives. Um, possibility, just seeing what God can and does do. Uh, that you matter, but God matters more.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, when, when we transitioned eight years ago, and I was becoming the lead pastor, experiencing what all our elders are experiencing now, God was just faithful. Um, and he's just, that, that's it. God's, he's faithful. Mm-hmm. We said it a few weeks ago. He's faithful when we're faithless. He's faithful when we're scared. He's faithful in uncertainty. He's faithful in 2016. Mm-hmm. He's faithful with have and have not. He's just God. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, I just think that I've learned that. I have truly have learned, you were talking about all of life and all for Jesus, this Is not a plug for that, but the reality of that uh, vocation matters and it matters to God. And I think that, that like, watching our church get that, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, to the point where it's like most people just assume, oh, yeah, what I do, I can do it for the Lord. Mm. Um, That's been been incredible. Um, That people do want to change. I've learned a lot. Yeah,
1: yeah. If you've got some parting words for the church, something that you would... Call us to. What would
0: those be? Okay. Maybe. Um, this I know. This was like duh. The gospel is central to everything that we do, and Jesus matters a lot. And God is big, and he's bigger and he's biggest, no matter what. Um, maybe something else would be is, let's just admit that we don't know what we don't know. When it comes to even the things of God, he's uh, comprehensible, we can understand him and know him by his spirit, but he's not fully comprehensible because he's God. Um, We don't know what we don't know about the person to the right and left of us. We don't know what we don't know about the bodies in which we live in. (laughs) Um, And yet, God is faithful in all those things. Um, Because of where we're located as a church and because of what God's done in this church, um, I I think pursuing reconciliation and what God does in heaven and earth and what he does with, um, with us and him, and then also what he does through us with people, whether that be ethnic, ethnicity-wise, gender, age, um, those who are on the spectrum, not on the spectrum, neurotypical, atypical, um, full, you know, just whatever it is, it's just continuing to pursue reconciliation because it is the ministry that God has given us from the gospel of Jesus Christ that is not just in word, but that is in deed and I say that is you don't need hear me you don't need a black pastor or a person of color for you to do that right you need to care and understand that you don't know what you don't know and you need the power of the Holy Spirit which He so graciously supplies supplies to any and everybody who believes and calls upon the name of his son Jesus Christ so therefore those things are constant and those things are consistent regardless who is or who or what people group is leading as long as the spirit of God is present and people are following him. Um, And I love you. mm -hmm. That's good. Um, What's
1: one memory? If your memory's getting wiped out and you can just remember one moment from the life of the church these last eight years, what are you holding on to? All right, let You've me, got a great memory.
0: Okay, one just came to my mind, so All I'm gonna right. use it, but it's not gonna be the one that I'm gonna use, is we used to have 6 p.m., we used to have a 7 p.m. service. Yeah. Oh, gosh, and, uh, and I remember, we used to pray at the end of service, and people would come up and pray, instead of like during the, the response time, and people would come up for prayer, and I remember this guy was praying with me, and Vince Garvey, who used to be here, who's now our lead pastor at Redemption Flagstaff, he came to me and he was like, hey, dude, no one needs you, and I'm like, dude, I'm praying right now. He's like, no, look and Noah was probably three at the time, and he was back over there by the soundboard, and he was peeing right there. (laughs) Just. (laughs) So, So, I'll never forget that. All right. That's good. Uh, (laughs) A lot of them were funny moments. (laughs) Uh, I'll say this. And this one person represents all of you guys. We had a really tough situation right when I was just transitioned to being the lead pastor, where we were leading this small group through a very, very difficult time and a lot of confusion. And I remember we were back in this room over here meeting. A meeting started at 7, and I just met and met with every single person individually in to like 1 o'clock in the morning. And I'm in this room, and I'm thinking, man, I think all the elders are gone, everybody's tapped out, and everybody left, and I stayed in there and just said a little prayer. And I walked out in the sanctuary, and it's 12.31 in the morning, and Jason Raber is half asleep. <sighs> ah, on the chairs, just waiting for me to be done so we can leave together. So the parting memory is that somebody told me a long time ago, it's not so much what you do, but who you do it with. Mm. And I've been gracious enough to do it with people who I love and who love me.
1: So moving forward, um, there's a few things we want to just say. One is that um, we want to have like an, a good season of just honoring Ricardo. This isn't the last you're going to see of him. We're, we're, um, we're hoping that he's going to come back and preach uh, sometime in the, in the, you know, before he gets hired somewhere at U of A perhaps, I don't know. <laughs> um, so we're going to, so this is not the end of, of seeing Ricardo. I will say this: We we're going to have these uh, these little note cards in the back, um, in the in the lobby there. I want to encourage you to write a note to Ricardo, more than send a text, more than an email, but something that's a little bit more enduring. And and rather than just listing off characteristics, it would be good if you wrote a memory that you have with Ricardo. I think that would be really important. Something tangible that he can he can hold on to for a while. Um, So I would encourage you to do that. That's the the first thing Um, the second thing is um, You you probably are wondering, okay so what happens next with the leadership of the church and those sorts of things and We'll we'll say this that we feel we feel really confident that tomorrow morning um, That we all show up our our team shows up on, on Monday morning and we're getting to work doubling down On the vision that all of life is all for jesus and the trajectory in which we've been headed and the things that god has given us to steward we're continuing forward in that and uh, with that said i think part of one of ricardo's strengths a real legacy that he has is building a strong team so we don't feel a sense of panic to like go find someone real quick and fill this slot but we as the elders will be um we're, we're having discussions about how we're going to organize things going forward. And uh, pray for us. We're working together with the executive team of Redemption Church as a whole um, and, and navigating that. In the meantime, uh, Jason Raber and myself, we're kind of leading the team and leading the elders through that process. Uh, but we're just going to seek God's wisdom of what that looks like. We wanted to do this uh, quickly and not just kind of roll out some polished thing where we have the perfect plan and all that. But just be real with you guys and nine days later tell you about what's going on so <laughs> that's where that's where we're at um tomorrow morning everything starts uh, uh, the same we're doing membership classes all the the normal stuff um and then the third thing i would say is that this is jesus's church um and he has been the one who has uh from generation to generation been the same and been the primary shepherd, the primary leader of his church. And so he is the one that we follow. He has used Ricardo tremendously, but that same Jesus is the same one as he is today, as he was uh, in the beginning. So, um, so with that said, we're gonna go ahead and bring up the elders now. Can I say one more thing? Yeah, yeah, go yeah. ahead.
0: Um, elders still come though. I was, hope, I was hoping Jim was gonna say, asked me a question, like, what do you want from the congregation? Hmm. So... What do you want from the congregation? <laughs> There's this car that I've always... No. <laughs> yeah. If you guys would do me a favor, and because if you do love me, don't... Just stay off of social media with this. It, I have... I, like obviously, as you can matter, uh, as imagine, my phone's been blowing up. You guys love me and so forth, but uh, it just it just adds another level that is already like wildly difficult. I don't care if you guys talk and process; you need to because it's important. But if, if you just would think, it just you know it just matters. Um, one, um, it just adds way more than what I emotionally can actually even can even get right now. And so that that's just the only thing I would say. Everything else is just pray for our family. But. Mm-hmm. We'll, pr- we'll pray.
1: Yeah. That's it. We'll pray for you. We'll pray that you end up at U of A, and we'll stay off social media. So, yeah. Um, speaking of which, Ryan, would you pray? Yeah.
2: Father, we feel uh, so many emotions right now. And, Lord, there's, there's nothing like transition in life that stirs those up in us. Lord, we, first of all, we thank you for that. Lord, your word says to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in all things give thanks, for this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we thank you, first and foremost, for the eight years that we had Ricardo as our pastor, as our friend as a confidant, as a brother. Lord, we, we cherish those. And Lord, we also commit to praying for him, Lord, as he goes through a new chapter. And Lord, we, we trust and know that this is you. And we trust and believe that all of life is all for Jesus and that this is something that you have been stirring in him. And Lord, we recognize that. And we trust that you will do all that you're going to do through him and the blessing that he will be to so many people. Lord, we thank you for this church. And we thank you for the way that you have established it. We thank you that you are our pastor. And Lord, as we send ricardo into that new chapter lord we ask you to bless him and his family in a way and an experience that only you can and that in this next season they would feel a closeness and a nearness to you that you are leading them and you are kind to them and you are patient with them and lord that they would experience all that is inside of their hearts but we thank you for all of these things in jesus name amen